0: I like drinking beer and I like talking hockey when I get to do both. I feel pretty lucky. Oh, let's get pucked up. All right. Welcome to uh, another episode of let's get pucked up after a very long hiatus. I am your host, Robin Coymans. And I'm here again with two emerging stars on the podcast. They just seem to be, uh, constantly giving us amazing material so i have to keep asking them back so we've got spencer phillips all the way out in uh, pei spencer you want to say hello hey folks and uh what are you sipping on right now i'm into uh bogsides bon
1: voyage champagne ipa it's Ooh. delicious it's so good i've uh, i've heard like really i don't know broad opinions on bogside beer here on pei but i love this i got two of my favorites right now so.
0: Yeah. So the champagne IPA, that sounds very, uh, hoity toity, very uh, uh, it's, bougie.
1: Uh, yeah. Pretty decadent. It's just it's so <laughs> sweet and pretty tasty, a little strong, hits you pretty hard, but, uh, I, I'm only going to get into one here on the podcast. Though. I'll rip into them after.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, the, the brewery here, uh, NWT brewing co just put out a, sh- a champagne IPA as well that I tried and it was pretty tasty. So this is apparently a thing. Yeah, but I like it. I I like it too. I'm I'm excited about the future of uh, different ways you can go with IPAs. I've always been I've always liked the milkshake IPAs too, so champagne IPAs and other exciting new uh, foray in the IPA world. And uh, then we've also got Devin Granger coming coming through your speakers from uh, North Bay, Ontario. Devin, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, doing quite well. Uh, It's been an absolute scorcher of a day and it's been like that for like the last week. So you're kinda of reluctant to go outside at some points. But you kind of do your activities in the morning and at at night.
0: Yeah. I'm uh very fortunate to be in Yellowknife right now where it's only like eighteen degrees Celsius. It's just absolutely the perfect temperature for me. So I'm happy about that and especially uh seeing some of my friends in like I did a podcast with uh, another friend who's in Windsor and he's saying it's like 35 plus every day for the last like two weeks or something. So uh, counting my blessings right now. Um, I didn't mention, but I'm drinking a uh, big rock brewery session IPA right now. Um, not nearly as uh, bougie as uh, the champagne IPA, but it'll do. And, uh, and sorry, I don't mean that in a negative way. As I said, I love champagne IPAs. <laughs> um, so, First things first, this is going to be a bit of a a housekeeping podcast since there has been a lot actually going on in the world of hockey over the last month, but uh, I've been away from doing a podcast for over a month now. Um, One of the reasons is the world has been pretty crazy and uh, especially um, the the Black Lives Matter movement has been something that's been very important going on that I've been following and that um, I've just really... Been excited about and wanting to listen and learn more about, and it felt to me like it was a bit unnecessary to be doing a hockey podcast over the last month. There, first of all, there was no hockey being played, um and second of all, as we're aware, hockey is a pretty—I don't know—cis-hetero male white sport. It's not really the thing that is the voice. It's not a voice that needed to be heard over the last month. Basically, um. So, uh, so yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement it's been a it's been a long time coming for things to to get better and I'm just excited to see things moving in the right direction. Hopefully this groundswell does make some long-lasting change in terms of uh the way society works, the way the police works. I don't want to get too far into the politics of it, but I am just happy to see this kind of uh change happening in our world. Um and To transition a bit out of that, it was exciting to see in the NHL the the start of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. So This is a group founded by um, the two co-heads of Andrew Kane and Akeem Alou, along with Matt Dumba, Joel Ward, Trevor Daly, Wayne Simmons, and Chris Stewart, um, with the main goal just to promote diversity in the world of hockey uh, and bring attention to inequality in the world of hockey and some of the problems with hockey culture um the main thing that i wanted to mention about this because they haven't done a ton of work yet they're still in their infancy but one of the main things i wanted to talk about is the fact that they are independent from the nhl and the nhl front office itself which i think is absolutely essential um by which i mean the nhl isn't gonna be able to just like sink their hooks into anything that they're doing and manipulate storylines or spin things in a certain way. This hopefully means as long as they're acting independently that the hockey diversity Alliance can give us their, their full opinions and um, without them being scrubbed for just uh, not to, to make the NHL not look bad, basically. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on on that on the hockey diversity alliance
1: i don't have a whole lot to say that you haven't covered similarly i think it's great that the nhl just kind of they're out of it um you know i remember i don't know if i was talking to you guys about this or talking about it before but just uh whenever the nhl was so quick to announce their return to play stuff like that was so out a character for them to take a initial stand like to be the first people to do something i think it's uh whenever you expect the NHL to do that one instance where that's really happened. So I think it's great that it's kind of out of their hands. It's something that's independent from the league and, uh, some, you know, some guys with some storied histories in the NHL that have been around for a bit who can, uh, use their experiences to inform where we should head.
0: Yeah. Um, I just want to say too, it blows my mind that we're still in the same season as when all of the hockey coaches got fired for their, uh, for their racist or player abuse issues that Don Cherry left uh coach's corner as well. Like the, ho- the world of hockey uh, in, in particular in the NHL has undergone such a crazy change this year and for the better. And there's still a long way to go, but it's great to see the momentum that has been gained in terms of like trying to be addressing systemic issues within the world of hockey and just trying to make it, better, hopefully, so that we can see more diversity and that we can have pe- everyone be comfortable in a dressing room at the very least. Um, yeah, that's all I really wanted to say on that. Um, maybe we'll move on to talking about one sport that has got uh, my attention, Spencer's attention, at the very least, a lot of people's attention right now is uh, Premier League. It's back, and uh, I don't want to say it's better than ever. It definitely isn't better than ever, but it's been exciting for sure. Um, so Spencer, how is your uh, Premier League watching experience been going so far? It's been great. Uh, the last few years have been pretty painful as a Manchester
1: United fan. So seeing them come out of the gate the way they have, pretty potent. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And the, uh, the FIFA 20 crowd noise in the background <laughs> isn't, I don't know, isn't too shocking to me. It feels pretty natural. So uh, yeah, it's been a ton of fun to watch. And just because there's been so few sports, around to watch. I got into the Bundesliga a bit whenever it was the only thing and mm. watching Alfonso Davies was a ton of fun, but, uh, you know, Premier League's always been a big thing for me, so to have them back and, uh, you know, basically two games a week, it's it's been great.
0: Yeah, I've been following the Premier League too. I, I kind of, I used to watch it a lot and then I kind of trailed off on that, but then I've gotten back into it now with it being like the main game in town, kind of, and um, it's been exciting. It's been fun to watch to, and I'm just, Glad that Liverpool got some closure on that amazing season that they're having. Yeah, um, even as a
1: Manchester United fan, it like it would have felt dirty if they yeah, <laughs> if they if didn't, they get that didn't
0: off. officially get the the title. Yeah, and uh, it's also been good to see so far that they've kind of made a decent roadmap with how to return to play without contracting too much in terms of COVID cases. Um, so so far, since like. I think it was like mid-May or since they started having players training, they've had a total of 19 COVID cases in the whole league. And uh, I looked at the number of players that are in the Premier League. I think it's just over 500 or so. So it's not too dissimilar from the NHL in terms of total players. Um, the NHL does have more, but not a ton more. But it it raises the the kind of the issue of with the NHL's return to play. They're well. They're coming back August 1st is the plan with training camps before that. We've already had 35 positive COVID cases at this point that have been reported in the NHL amongst the players and uh, just team members of some form. Uh, Do you guys think that the NHL is going to be able to pull this off, the return to play? Um, Maybe, Spencer, what do you think so far on that?
1: Um, I've been saying all along that I really – didn't think this was going to happen when you look at the States and the current situation and the, the numbers, like, you know, you weren't hearing specifics aside from apparently Austin Matthews, but um, you were hearing these numbers come out and that uh, you know, this, this phase of the, these four phases, they'd set motion. It just didn't seem like they were working out as we'd envisioned, but um, you know, it, it's getting a little bit closer. And when you see that other leagues have done it and been successful, uh, when you see how close the NBA is to getting going with a similar bubble idea like it's just becoming a little more real and I'm I'm excited for it but um to see the Premier League be successful to see uh I don't don't know what the numbers are with the Bundesliga but they're still going so I assume it's been positive uh it it makes me think that it's a possibility and I'm a little less uh you know worried but um at the same time like I you know if I'm scrolling through Twitter I see some people just like I can't believe they're still trying to do this I can't believe it's even like an idea and when you look at the current state in the states it's yeah, there, there, there's an argument for that too. So um, I'm still conflicted, um, but I'm so hungry for hockey that uh, I want to remain positive and think that we we have a chance.
0: Yeah, um, and then you look at the North American examples of a league like MLS that has started and how much trouble they're having. It's a little scary. Um, yeah, Devin, what do you think is there do, – do do you think that it's – going to be feasible to try and return to play? Or do you think that this thing's going to get stopped at some point or just not work out?
2: Well, <clears throat> I guess, you know, time is going to tell on that one, but it, I don't know what the threshold is for them in terms of number of cases where they really start to say, okay, like we need to shut things down. And, you know, I wonder where they might start feeling more pressure from and who it is that needs to come out and tell them like, Okay, this is getting to a point where, like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, is that going to be the medical profession? Is that going to be, you know, through the public? Is that going to be through the players? I think we've seen sort of feedback from all fronts, so to speak. But um, the NHL, as uh, you guys were talking about, um, has been, you know, pushing this through and developing phases and and going through each phase. You know, I I don't think they assumed that there were going to be zero cases. Mm-hmm. And when they got those cases, they, they, they started to address them and, you know, take action towards them. One of the things that I have found interesting is the conversation around players don't have to do it if they don't want. Right. It's yeah. kind of, they, they've almost like, I I don't know if this is the right way to look at it but they've almost like kind of taken some of the pressure off of their own decision making by just, you know, putting it on the players as well and saying like hey, it's your choice. Like if you want to participate in it, you're allowed to. Cuz obviously there's a lot of players who they're going to be thinking that one through quite a bit for whenever a number of different reasons whether it be medical reasons or, you know, personal values Moral reasons, everyone's gonna be thinking this through. Um, I'm kind of just playing it day by day. Um, you know, like Spencer was saying, I'm also kind of thirsty for hockey and seeing it, but at the same time, I've gone without it for so long. I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I could see myself kind of transitioning in other things as well, and just kind of waiting patiently as much as I uh, do miss it.
0: Yeah, um, I I just uh, I'm I'm obviously going to watch it when it comes back, but I feel like it has the the possibility of becoming a big mess, and I don't. And the NHL, I feel like they've tried to outline a plan a little bit, but I still feel like it hasn't been very transparent on what they're going to do if like a team has four or five people test positive. Does that mean that that team is out, or does that mean they just? bring in the people from their taxi squad. What does that mean for the opposing team? Because they're obviously coming into close contact with these guys who have tested positive for COVID. Does that just mean you cut off that leg of the bracket and just say, this is, uh, I don't know, you can't work with these teams because there's too much possibility for COVID. I don't know. There's so many, it's so unprecedented. You've heard that word a million times in the last, four or five months but sorry i'm bringing it up again um yeah i just don't know what to expect but if they do return to play i'll watch (laughs) um spencer
1: well just on that like i i look at this as like i look at fifa like as an organization not a big fan of fifa if i were to break it down i'm not the biggest fan of a lot of the things the nhl does but
0: have you seen the schedule that they're like anticipating i've heard of it yeah they're doing like Game after game after game, like three like games in a day? Six games in a
1: day. Like, um, I don't know.
0: I've been so bored at times throughout this pandemic.
1: It's just the idea of having hockey on all day that I can just, you know, oh, it's, you know, three o'clock. There's a game. Oh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, just to have that convenience. It's really appealing. But that's a very, very selfish position to take as a hockey <laughs> fan. So. You know, it, it's kind of, I've heard a lot of people say this, but just, of course, I'm going to watch it. I don't know if I agree. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm conflicted, but like, there's no way I'm not going to watch a ton of hockey through this spell. Like the first round of the playoffs is always the best part for me. And we're almost getting two of those. So
2: mm-hmm. I'm pretty
1: pumped. If yeah. it happens.
2: Yeah. Like even for myself right now, like I've been without hockey for so long that, you know, business as usual, just doing other things, you know, reading playing sports, like, uh, whatever I can. But if hockey does come back on, who's to say that I wouldn't, you know, be like, Oh wow. Like this is fun. This is exciting. I'll I'll definitely watch this throughout the day. But, uh, Robin, I think you raised like, like a lot of really interesting questions that there are no clear answers to. And I have no idea what would happen if, you know, half a team or, you know, a number of players got it on one team. It's like, what are they going to do? Just play AHL players up in the NHL? Are they going to, you know, like you said, cut off a team or two? Mm, how does that even work with, with the first round pick? Yeah. <laughs> you know, which team gets to pick that? you know laughing yeah. it's like yeah I does the team,
0: like if a bunch of teams get cancelled out because of covid yeah like in the play-in mm-hmm. round that would be pretty crazy for sure i didn't even think of that but yeah say like for example toronto and columbus contra- like they, they both contract too high of a number of players for the nhl's threshold and they both get eliminated does that mean they both get entered into the lottery for the first overall pick i would Guess so, but I guess that's something they'll just deal with when it comes up, if it does come up. Um, anyway, maybe I'll move on to talking about the fact that we do know now who the hub cities are going to be or what the hub cities are going to be. They're both Canadian, um, Edmonton and Toronto. And I don't know if I am happy or unhappy about this. I don't know how to react because like, I guess I'm happy for the, the local economies and the fact that the U.S. did such a terrible job at keeping COVID at bay that... Canada gets a little bit of uh, money brought our way, but I also worry about the safety of those communities, having people coming from all over the world, especially when I know some of them have contracted COVID and probably more are going to. Um, Do you guys have any thoughts on Edmonton and Toronto as the hub cities? Um, Sorry, Spencer, do you have something to say?
1: Oh, like I was pointing to Devin to give him the chance to lead out here, but uh, I also like I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I really like I don't care. It it yeah. seems inconsequential to me. You mentioned the economic benefits for places, uh, and I get that, but in reality, it just seemed like you know it it doesn't really matter. No team is going to be at a real advantage. Uh, I was even looking at something this morning where Toronto's in a you know they, they released what hotels they were staying at, and mm-hmm. Toronto's in the closer one. I don't know. It might even be nicer, but there's like some slight negative. Like, it's just like, you know, this is what we're talking about. It's (laughs) pretty minor. Uh, you know, we're we're that, we're that hungry. Right. Um, but, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge too, that, uh, I remember seeing this thing, uh, uh, Jason Kenny, is that the Alberta premier, um, posted a video, like trying to lure essentially them to come. Like, this is what, you know, this is what we have to offer in Edmonton. And it was all like, you know things in alberta that are oh yeah they're like they're days. like we're close <laughs> to the
0: rockies and you're like yeah, yeah. four and a half hour drive
1: <laughs> yeah in a pandemic when you're not really allowed to leave your bubble but you yeah. <laughs> it uh it's interesting stuff but yeah like i don't think it really matters all that much it's it's you know maybe there's a point of pride that these cities take and like you mentioned before it's just kind of you know canada's come out a little better i, I like to say that a little cautiously because i don't think we're in any ways out of the woods but um, you know there's that little bit of pride I suppose we can take in that but still it's just you know they're playing hockey I don't give a shit where they play just mm-hmm. uh, you know as long as they get to play and as long as it's safe
0: yeah Devin do you do you have any thoughts on that whether you're happy that they're coming to Canada or if you don't care or what do you think
2: yeah I uh, I'm pretty indifferent on it to be honest with you like I really doesn't phase me I don't particularly care where they play as long as they're, you know, doing their due diligence and they're taking their precautions and, you know, all parties are, are on board with it. And they're going to, at the end of the day, be able to have some fun and provide some entertainment as well.
0: For sure. All right. So maybe now we'll move on to talking about, um, another exciting topic of conversation, the CBA. <laughs> no, uh, obviously I, I'm not going to delve into the, the boring minutia of the CBA, but I do want to talk about just a few things. Um, first of all, the fact that we're going to have players back in the Olympics from the NHL is exciting. Um, and Spencer, I know you wanted to talk about just the the negotiation tactics of how this was played out for the Olympics, uh, regarding, uh, regarding whether it was a, thing, it was a for, thing for uh, the players or the or the NHL as a league.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's just so interesting that you know the, the players want to go. It's it's pretty apparent that they want to go, and. It, it, if the league is intelligent in any way, of course, you know, they, they've, they put their push on to expand into China. They've had games in China. They, they want to be at the Olympics in China, but it was pretty intelligent from Bettman to, you know, kind of the way things have led up to now this is a concession that, you know, they're making, Oh, we'll let you guys go to the Olympics as though they don't want to be there. It's just, uh, it's pretty impressive. And I'm not like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a big Gary Bettman fan, but like as I've matured slightly, as I grow up, um, I appreciate the lawyer side of Gary Bettman and just how, like, you know, this is a man who knows how to work the system, and I can understand why he's been successful and uh, been in the position he's in, but I'm always going to be sour about lockouts and things like that, too, as a hockey fan. And, and um, don't forget to,
0: sorry, don't forget to address him by his proper uh, terminology as Hockey Hall of Fame member Gary Bettman. Oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah we're going to have our Hall of Fame discussions later Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it was just kind of a a neat little masterstroke from him, uh, you know, give Gary Bettman credit where credit is due, um, even if you don't want to.
0: Yeah, and I definitely don't want to, but I understand what you're saying for sure, that it's pretty masterful to make the players fight for something to this degree in their negotiations when it's something that's mutually beneficial. And... uh, Possibly even detrimental to the players, as they could get injured playing in in the Olympics. Although that would yeah, hurt well, the, the teams only as people well. who could
1: ever be against that is really the owners when when they're going to China when it's a chance to expand like that. And um, it'd be the shame if the owners didn't get what they wanted. <laughs> Twice, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. we all love the owners. Yeah. Um, Big man, Jimmy us <laughs> Talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the other thing about the CBA is that they're, they've revealed there's going to be a flat cap for the next three seasons at least, I think, um, along with like deferred payment or deferred salary for players, which I don't want to get into. That's too, too boring and businessy. But uh, the flat cap is interesting from a team perspective, especially for teams that just prior to the pandemic signed young players or expensive players to long-term deals expecting that their percentage of the cap hit would diminish over the course of those uh, long-term deals so I'm looking at unfortunately for us the Toronto Maple Leafs who signed their uh their big ticket players they have their four forwards counting for like more than 40 million against the cap for a long time and if it's a flat cap that hurts their ability to have good depth on the team they have to get really creative luckily Dubas is pretty good at being creative I think but still not the best situation to be in and uh, Washington Capitals as well. They have a guy like Nick Backstrom who is probably going to look pretty, that is probably going to look like a pretty bad contract by year three of it. I'm thinking he's like a five year, $45 million contract over the age of 30 Um, not to mention Sergei Bobrovsky, which has already been panned as a bad contract, but looks even worse now. Um, Yeah, I've got to say, it's a tough pill to swallow. In hindsight, it's twenty twenty, but it's a tough pill to swallow for these teams. And now teams like uh, say Tampa with the Braden Point Bridge deal, um, Winnipeg with their uh, bridge deal for Patrick Line, eh? Boston with uh, McAvoy, Columbus with uh, Wierenski on the bridge deals. They're looking pretty good now because they have these guys at a low cap hit, and they can argue when it comes time to resign them. Hey, we have to keep the cap hit low. Cap it low. Uh, Spencer, you got any thoughts here?
1: Well, I just wonder how the players are going to feel about this. Cause the, the, the justification for those bridge deals is that you're going to make a payday down the road. And I know there's only like, you know, you know, pre- unprecedented times we're in the middle of the pandemic and that affects things, but there's gotta be a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth of these players who said like, we took a team friendly deal to prove ourselves. And now when we've proven ourselves, are we going to get that payday? And it's really, it's really unfortunate because uh, you know, I I, I feel really bad for Boston and Winnipeg um, as Leafs fans right now, but um, it's, it's just going to lead to some interesting negotiation stuff and it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. But, um, and you know, from the Leafs perspective too, it's discouraging because the justification for those contracts, anybody who gave me a hard time over Austin Matthews and Mitch Marin, it was like, well, wait till that, deal is in year three or year four and you have to sign McAvoy or you have to sign line a, um, you know, we're going to be in pretty good shape having these guys locked down. And that argument is out the window right now, but you know, y- you look at the core, um, I've, we've been least fans our entire lives and how often have they had this level of talent? I'd rather than pay for it. It sucks that it's turned out this way, but, um, I'm still not really bummed. Yes. Not yet. Anyway.
2: Well, I guess, uh, You know, what I would say on the flat cap is, uh, it is going to be tough for a lot of teams who are already, you know, close to the salary cap Toronto and all that. I don't think, you know, as we talked about in previous podcasts, I don't think, you know, as fans, we need to necessarily freak out or assume the worst. The, the GMs will be able to, you know, navigate this and make things work, uh, we just have to obviously get creative, but um, in regards to like players not getting paid. Yeah. Those negotiations are certainly going to be tough Um, and there's going to obviously be some people who are not going to be happy. A lot of the players probably not getting the amount of money that they were hoping they were going to get, but I don't know if this, um, you know, comes across as a little bit too harsh, but You know, at what point do you need another million dollars or another $2 million, another $3 million when you already have quite a bit of money? These players are going through something that a lot of people throughout, you know, across the world are going through, whether it's students wanting to go to university and having difficulties doing that. One of my really good friends included, you know, has a lot of different hoops and things he has to consider. Some people who have lost jobs, some people who are hoping to you know, move into new employment have to reconsider. So to me, like their problems, yes, they have to deal with them. And I'm sure that there is some degree of worry and issues that come along with that. But I would say they're fairly minor when they already have a fairly large amount of income and cash that they've already made. Albeit there are some players who are probably in a tighter situation than others.
0: Yeah. Um, it's. I'm glad you put that into perspective there, Devin, because it is something that sometimes we lose track of when we're just reading these stories, seeing it as entertainment. We stop. Sometimes I have trouble thinking about the fact that these are real people earning a ton of money just to play sports when we're living in a world that has so many issues with income inequality and systemic racism and things like that. And then a guy is getting paid like $12 million to put a puck in the net while another guy in the NFL just signed a contract to get paid like $50 million a year to throw a ball. Um, which isn't even to say uh, how I feel about the owners of these teams as well. <laughs> um, yeah, we might be due for a good reckoning in terms of like a purge or something like that. But uh, aside from all that, Um, getting back into a narrow view of the sport, I do feel a little bad for, uh, Kevin LeBanc in particular. So this is a guy who took way less money than he deserved last year because the sharks were in such a precarious spot cap wise. And this is even before all of this pandemic nonsense, well, not nonsense, but all the stuff that's happened with the pandemic and the flat cap and, uh, didn't have the greatest year. No one on the sharks did. And so that hurt what kind of money he could have potentially made with the, the year he'd come off before. And then you add to that, the fact that the sharks are still against the cap and they're not going to see much relief for a while. Um, he is probably not going to get paid what he, what he should have done in the first, or what he should have gotten in the first place. So that sucks for him. Uh, another guy who seems to have bad luck, follow him, although he'll still probably make out fine and be a rich man at the end of this is Taylor hall. Um, so as we all know, Taylor Hall has been on teams that have won like five first round or first overall picks at this point. Um, soon to be six since the play in team that won first overall, we can all agree is going to be the Arizona Coyotes because Taylor Hall is on that team. Um, then uh, he's probably going to have to sign. I'm going I'm to guess he'll sign a short-term deal. I don't even know at this point though because it's like three years of flat cap. Um, but whatever he does, it's not going to be the amount of money that he probably would have made pre-pandemic. But like you said, Devin, that's what the world is dealing with. We're all going to have to find ways to to make do with a little less and be a little more smart about the way we live our lives and spend our money. So yeah, it's hard to feel sorry for him at the end of the day. Um, maybe I'll transition a little bit from the CBA to talking about uh, the draft lottery. And there's going to be maybe even more importance on the draft moving forward than there ever has been based on the fact that we do have a flat cap that you need to have these players who can come in on an entry-level deal making only like $800,000, $900,000 a year and contributing well to the team. So um, first of all, I just want to ask, how do you guys feel about the NHL placeholder team winning first overall in the draft? um spencer I'm
1: spencer i wanted to laugh hysterically but i just didn't have it in me um <laughs> I, i'm a big fan of jeff merrick and he always like you know pushes for chaos that's what he cheers for he doesn't have a favorite team he likes players he likes storylines but he wants chaos and yeah that was chaotic it was a lot of fun just as the uh you know now that the Leafs are far removed from drafting fairly high or trading their picks away or whatever you know whatever you want to talk about um it's just uh it's the best storyline. It's so wild that we have a situation where we don't know the first overall pick. It's somebody who's currently playing for a chance at the Stanley cup. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's the best storyline we could have imagined. And as Leafs fans, like there's still, if they lose a 12.5% chance of them drafting Alexis Lafreniere, which when we already talked about their cap issues and, you know, like you already alluded to, um, that, that could be a major, uh, a major push in the right direction. So, it's 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 really cool, but if I were a Sens fan or a Red Wings fan, I would be so discouraged right now.
0: Yeah, uh, Devin, do you have any thoughts on the whole draft situation? Well, there's
2: a lot of people who are like super upset about it, and they're just like, "Oh, you know, this is rigged," and you know, how could this happen? You know, the draft system's broken. It's like, okay, well, if the draft system's broken, then fair let's talk about it and let's you know hash some things out that we think can improve um rather than just sort of you know yelling and then writing out you know tweets that are not offering much but for me it's like everyone knew that this was a possibility so now that it's happened why are we so you know why are we so shocked you know like obviously the what was it like a 2.5% chance that a placeholder team can get it. But then if you add up all of those placeholder teams, you know,
0: there's, there's 16 of them. Right. So like, I think, I think when it added up from what I recall, the the odds were like around 24% or something like that, that a placeholder team was going to get first overall, because there are so sure. many possibilities.
1: Yeah. Um, At this point, what is the percentage of the like the last place team getting first? Like, it's less than twenty percent,
0: right? Yeah, Detroit. I think had eighteen point five percent of a chance. Their best chance, their fifty percent odds were at fourth overall, I think, or something like. I think that's what Steve Eisenman said. Mm -hmm. Like Um, fifty percent chance. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't surprising if you knew the math. Like if you understand the math, it's not a surprising outcome. Um, The only team that had a better chance of first overall than the placeholder team was Ottawa by like 1% just because they held San Jose's pick as well. So it's disappointing Mm -hmm. for them for sure. It's disappointing for Detroit, but they knew what the odds were going in. And the league has done it this way because there were complaints years ago about Arizona and Buffalo tanking so hard and cheering on each other's teams to win when they were playing each other down the stretch. Um, so this, so they changed the odds so that teams wouldn't be as incentivized to tank. So
1: that was going to be the question I asked to, to some of what Devin was saying was just like, is this how you think the lottery should be presented? Like, do you agree with tanking? Do you think the teams, that tank should get the first overall pick or do you approve of the lottery scenario?
2: Yeah, I think, um, if anything, I guess we could just revisit and have a, you know, an open discussion about the percentages, you know, like what are the odds that we should award? Because, you know, and and still at the end of the day, people have to recognize that there's odds here. It doesn't mean that you're going to get it. So if you don't get it, don't be upset about it. Like, or if you, sorry, be upset about it and have those, those feelings and whatever, but it's like, you can't just, you can't just say it's rigged. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. Well, like, whenever the, it was the Leafs in that boat, like, I was over at Ellen's place refreshing Twitter in her doorway as we left, like, expecting the Leafs to lose. Like, yeah, me too. The 20% chance is not enough for me. I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit there and say, hey, we're getting the first overall pick because we finished last. Um, no. 20% was not enough for me. So, um, to to expect it is ridiculous, but to be pissed yeah. off in the end, yeah, that's fair. It's just... You know, that's the unfortunate situation you're dealt with.
0: And I, I think that the, the current system as it is, is pretty close to perfect in my mind. Like I don't have any major issues with it. I think that they've listened to the fan anger on the other side of that, like tanking situation and tried to remedy the situation. Maybe they overdid it by bringing it down to 18.5% or whatever it is for uh, the last place team. Maybe they should have like a 25% chance in my mind, but Honestly, I don't think it's that far off. I think it's a pretty good system. And, uh, I really have no time for the Brian Burks of the world right now who are just like yelling at the TV when this happens and various, uh, people in league offices who've said it's like absolute bullshit. bullshit. There's, they just really, they just I don't, really don't think understand, don't understand math.
1: math. Burke just would have traded that first round pick away anyway. So, yeah,
0: he would have traded it for someone like, uh, like Timo Meyer or something. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it's a. Fun, I think the system's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I know that a lot of people disagree with that, but whatever. I'm gonna stick to that. Um, so some teams, as we have mentioned, did not do so well. Had a pretty rough time at the draft lottery, and uh, one of those teams in particular was Buffalo. They uh, did not have the opportunity to draft. The, the franchise supporting player that they needed to keep Jack Eichel interested in sticking around. Um, so yeah, in Buffalo, things got pretty chaotic in the last month. Uh, Botterill got fired. Tons of the staff, the scouting department, just everyone got fired. Lots of like, even just like concession stand workers, I feel like got fired. I might just Fire be misremembering. but uh,
1: Can lots I say of one thing? Yeah, absolutely. Mike Comasarek got fired. <laughs> impressively he was part of their organization but apparently he was one of the guys they fired too which is just you know why wouldn't you keep a guy like that on
0: yeah you buy him out you don't fire him um (laughs) but yeah the the sabers are in a rough spot and it must suck to be a fan of the sabers it also must suck to be a fan of the senators right now um but that we've known that for many years Uh, and as Leaf fans, all three of us, it's kind of nice to be in the position that we're in right now, even if things could get ugly in the future with the flat salary cap, we've at least got our franchise cornerstones, uh, solid ownership, which the Sabres and Sens fans don't have. Um, yeah, so I guess I just want to pose the question, who do you feel worse for right now? Sens fans or Sabres fans? Uh, maybe Devin, I'll throw this one over to you.
2: Um, definitely Buffalo, I would say, um, like the Sens obviously have the two picks coming up and three and five, like they got to be happy about that. They're going to get some amazing players, um, whether it's like a Stutzle Byfield and maybe a Rossi or Drysdale, like they're, they're set. Um, and they've got Kachuk. Um, they've got Shabbat. They've got some young pieces that I think, like as a fan you can be happy about and and as far as chemistry goes like with the team they seem to be like a team that does work hard like at least in my mind like given where the senators are in their in their you know rebuild and their growth they always seem to come out and put in a decent effort so i would be happy about that um in terms of debating like which ownership I think is more stable. My goodness, I have no idea when it comes to that, as you know, just more stories and headlines are always coming out and you're like, what is going on here? But uh yeah, Buffalo, I just don't know what they're trying to do. And I always go back to like, why didn't they go get a goalie? Like we knew that goaltending was an issue for them. They haven't been able to provide really anyone to play with, Jock Eichel. I don't know why they traded Ryan Riley. This is just a big rant about all the things that I just don't understand and and get when it comes to Buffalo. But I don't see, you know, coherency, sense of unity, sense of community there that the players really enjoy playing there. It's been story after story. And obviously, with Jock Eichel coming out here, like a person who all fans, the Buffalo fans, probably just adore, you know, to hear like that he's not happy, it's like, mm, I would, I think Buffalo's in you know, they're, they're starting to sink a little bit here.
0: Yeah. Spencer, what do you think there?
1: Uh, I agree that the Sabres are in the dire situation when you compare the two, but it's fun to get a little inside baseball on our podcast composition. And like, you know, we were talking about what we wanted to talk about today. I said I could go on for an hour and a half about the Buffalo Sabres. Like this is, we were, Devin and I were texting or messaging back and forth about like, you know, all these bullshit things that are going on there. Uh, It's a lot of fun to talk about this because as a Leafs fan, we were the Buffalo Sabres. We were the team that was out of the playoffs for almost a decade. And uh, it's, it's discouraging. Um, But it's also like, you know, as a Leafs fan, there's a part of me that wants to just enjoy that. Like somebody is suffering is, much as we did um but like Devin made some really good points there too about the difference like you can compare ownership and i would think ottawa's ownership is way worse like i don't necessarily have a problem with the Pagulas; it's just that their priorities seem to be with the bills and that's fair like the bills are better i still think the bills are shit but like better and uh it, you know it's just football might be a bigger thing uh you know buffalo the sabers bring in big tv tv ratings but like uh as far as the comparison between hockey and football, it's a no contest. So Um, ownership, I think like Ottawa is definitely at a severe disadvantage there. Uh, I haven't said his name, Melnick, like just an absolute trash man. Like (laughs) what? Like I don't really want to talk about him anymore. Um, He sucks. And I have, my brother-in-law's a big Sens fan and I just feel so bad for him, despite the fact that he was rubbing in every shitty season of Leafs head. Every time there was something to dig at, he did it. But at the same time, like, you know, Fair game. Um, but to like actually look at rosters and look at some deeper aspects of it. Um, you were right, Devin, like Ottawa in a pretty good position. And whenever they traded Carlson away, I love Eric Carlson. I looked at the whole thing and wanted to hate that trade. I did hate the trade at the time. And you look at it now and it's like, you know, the young pieces they have in Shabbat, like you didn't mention Brandstrom, but like, that's another like top caliber defensive prospect. Like they're pretty set there um, Two really high picks. Like, I look at Ottawa and I'm almost envious as a team, you know, watching a team rebuild and having those assets. It's, it's pretty positive. Um, With Buffalo, it just seems like, what can you say about Buffalo? There's um, they have Jack Eichel, who's an incredible talent. And uh, you know, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about some of the trade offers we saw on Twitter earlier that are just amazing and so much fun. But uh, like, I don't want to belittle Jack Eichel as a player. I think he's incredible. I really like, he's just the kind of guy that I look at and I don't like, but I look at him playing hockey, and it's like, you know, his stride, the way he stick handles, the way he dishes the puck, everything he does as a hockey player is just so impressive. Um, but what else is there there? And, uh, like, Sam Reinhardt's a fine player. Rasmus Dahlin is excellent um, and could be a top-pairing defenseman for the rest of his career. But they've done such a piss-poor job of drafting. Um, who's, the, who's the young kid who scored all the power play goals? Olofsson or Olofsson? Victor Olofsson. Yeah. Like, aside from him and Eichel, and uh, Darlene, who, and Reinhardt, I guess, but, like, who have they brought up through the draft? Have they ever drafted anybody aside from Olofsson outside of the first round that's amounted to anything? And then you look at Casey Middlestad, who they rushed into the league, and, you know, I looked at him playing in the World Juniors and thought, that kid scares the shit out of me. And now, all of a sudden, people are writing him off as a must. Like, it's, there's something in the water as far as their development there, and it's it's pretty it's got to be incredibly discouraging as a, as a Sabres fan.
0: Yeah. When you're saying there's something in the water, just made me think of the Oilers, um, how there was something in the water for so long there. And it feels similar with uh, just players stalling in their development, getting rushed and then stalling. Um, It's the same old, same old that you would have heard in Edmonton. Um, But you're talking about the, the Jack Eichel trade offers. And I think that is something I would like to talk about. So um, we don't have any like confirmation that Jack Eichel really wants out of Buffalo, but like the watch has started. It's basically feeling like Connor McDavid trade watch 2.0, where you have this franchise player stuck in a terrible situation. And you're just waiting for him to demand a trade. And there have been more signs that Jack Eichel actually wants out than Connor McDavid ever did with like all of the firings kind of lining up with his interviews with the, the, the owners and stuff like that. So um, Spencer, I think you were the one who found that link on Twitter with the various uh, trade offers that Sabres fans were proposing. You want to talk about that?
1: I'll throw a little like uh, you know pre-speech in here just about how like you know if you look through the comments and you look at the people from the the radio station in Buffalo that came up with this, there is that little like well, we were trying to be ridiculous because we wanted to stress how ridiculous it is to trade Jack Eichel and. You know, trading Jack Eichel would be foolish, in my opinion, but you're running out of time. And uh, this may be a very real thing. Like the, the Connor McDavid trade, you know, trade watch that you were mentioning, like, I never really been into that. Anytime I listened to a podcast where they were talking about it, I was like, get this out of here. I don't think this is a problem, yes. But um, like Eichel's been displeased for like, five years now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Just like basically since they drafted him, there's been issues and uh, he's head coaches fired. He's, I mean, like, I don't know that speculation or not. I don't know how confirmed that is, but uh, he does seem to have a ton of pull within the organization. And, um, you know, if he's not happy, you know, when, where's that threshold? Where's that line that has to be crossed before Jack Eichel says, I'm done. Get me out of here. This place is toxic. Um, I don't know if you guys want to talk about some of the proposed deals, but like uh, some of the, I'll pick one that really stood out to me as just baffling. Um, Well, let's start with the Maple Leafs first, because I can't imagine a world where Austin Matthews is not enough. Like if you're making a deal with the Leafs for some stupid, strange reason where you're trading these monstrous contracts, um, maybe the fact that Austin Matthews makes a million and a half more matters, but like the proposed deal was Austin Matthews and Rasmus Sandin. It's not... Austin Matthews and a fourth round pick or Austin Matthews and a, a B level prospect. It's like, let's take your best player and your best prospect because that's what Jack Eichel is worth to us. In Buffalo. It's just, uh, it's baffling to me. So I, um, like I said, I already gave you that little pre-speech about how it's supposed to be ridiculous, but that's beyond ridiculous as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. Devin, did you have any thoughts of uh, some of those trade offers you saw on that tweet? Uh, Yeah. For sure. Like I, I was
2: baffled by a few of them as well. And I'll, I'll definitely pick, I guess, maybe one of my favorites from it, <laughs> but I also just wanted to mention like the idea of toxicity and like the environment in, in Buffalo. It's like, if there's been, cause I haven't followed Jack Eichel in his five years, but if there's been issues like since day one, you know, it really makes you wonder what is in the water. And, and, and to me, Usually it has a lot to do with leadership and management. Um, It starts at the top, you know, and, and I don't mean like, you know, the top as if there's no communication between the top and the bottom, but if you have leaders, that's what they should be doing is they should be communicating well with people throughout the entire organization. And, you know, if that's what's actually going on in Buffalo and there's no circularity and people aren't listening well and they're not creating a good sense of community where people want to go and play and they're not focused enough on it and they're focused too much on the bills. I could definitely see Jack Eichel, you know, wanting out of there um, and wanting a fresh start. How many bridges can be rebuilt and, you know, the amount of effort that needs to go into it. If Jack has, demonstrated that he wants to put the effort in and he is a leader and he is trying to communicate and he's just not getting that reciprocated to them. What more can he possibly do? That would be frustrating. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about how a lot of this stuff is usually just speculation and star players don't want to leave, but you know, there, there could be something to it. And if there is my goodness, you know, you can only take so much before you look at any kind of administration you know, whether it's in the NHL or in your workplace, you know, whatever it might be, you know, if, if you can't communicate well and you're not seeing anything develop from it, then you don't feel valued. Then you can, you'd want to get out of there. I know that was a little long winded, but I just wanted to add that in there. Um, as far as the, uh, the trade goes, I thought the Alexander Barkoff, uh, Spencer Knight and first round pick, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, there's people who wouldn't do Barkov or Eichel straight up, especially given the contract that Barkov, Barkov has. And it's yeah. Barkov. Like, he's an absolute beast. Like, and then to go ahead and say, we're going to give you Spencer Knight, who's arguably one of the top, you know, goalie prospects in the world. Um, and then a first round pick on it's like, get out of here. Like, uh, these are supposed to be where's the utility in this are you just are you just having some fun with it like it's supposed to be absurd it's like okay well I can write up a bunch of absurd things too but you know what what are we trying to achieve here from this so you know have fun instead of speculating these types of trades why don't you figure out what's going on with Jack Eichel and Buffalo and try to resolve this issue because he's a star player and he's the face of your franchise and you're going to need him.
0: Yeah, if nothing else it's proven that Sabres fans are just as diehard and stupid as Leafs fans are on the <laughs> on the tr- on the message boards. So uh at least they do have a good enough fan base to show that they're that they care and put out stupid offers like this and they really value their players, I guess. Is what I'm trying to say. Um the only one that if you take away salary cap considerations that I would see as even like a discussion starter would be the one to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, it was Shifley and Ealers for Eichel. Now Shifley is a really good player. Don't get me wrong, but I do think Eichel's just a little bit above him, and so you could at least start the discussion. I still don't think you get there, even if you don't think about salary cap. But then uh, you consider the salary cap implications, and Shifley's on one of the best deals in the league, like it's similar to like a McKinnon or Barkov contract. So. No, you, you're not going to make that trade if you're the Jets. That's stupid. You're basically getting one player for the same cost, maybe like $1 million less than those two really good players that you're giving up. Um, so I don't see it as working. Uh, in terms of the fan base that I feel worse for, because I didn't answer this one yet, um, I would probably have to agree with you on the Sabres. It's a tough call. Like I do um i do definitely give it up to the to the sens for the 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 prospect covered that how how full they're covered is a prospects right now along with the the picks that they have that are going to give them two amazing players but uh i just i have trouble believing that they're going to retain all of their good players once they develop so eugene melnick has made me incredibly cynical on this team's future even though he said they're going to have those years of unparalleled success um prove it to me i don't i don't see you resign like they resigned shabbat okay that's a step in the right direction but i i just still have a lot of trouble believing that if they have a good team emerge from this like bevy of prospects that they're gonna be able to retain those good players um i just don't see eugene melnick wanting to pay for them he's just way too cheap and shitty as a person but that being said um at least that is something. Like at least they have those prospects. The Sabers don't really have anything to feel happy about right now.
1: Uh, Spencer, except for Jack Eichel, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and like, I, I feel like we we haven't really said this yet, but Jack Eichel had an incredible season. Like, um, coming up to you know the shutdown, he was you know, he was amazing. Like, I, I thought he was really great, but like one thing that I, I wish I, I thought I had taken a screenshot of it, but I, I didn't was uh, somebody said like, look at these stats and guess who this player is. And it listed uh, Jack Eichel stats from the last two years. And in terms of like goals for 60 primary points for 60 primary assists for 60, he's not even the top guy on his team, which the year the Sabres head, yeah. Like that's baffling. I couldn't believe that. And, uh, just, you know, like I said, when you look at the year, the Sabres have had, like their only shining light was that
0: guy and, on and the. And Olafson you could say it was a good yeah, story.
1: Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're one developed prospect, but,
0: uh, And you could say Darlene, you could say Darlene was, uh, on the Oh, right that's true. Yeah. I'll,
1: I'll give that. But, but with Eichel, like just to, to sit there and say, well, at least we got this guy. And then to see the statistics kind of saying like, you know, well maybe he didn't have as great of a year as we thought well you got to take the context of the situation into account and realize that like yeah the the team was shitty and five on five they couldn't match up to really anybody so it's it's tough to compare that but just it was pretty eye-opening because i thought that that would have been where he stacked up like i thought this was the year that he proved i can play with nobody i'd just rather not
0: yeah it makes you start to wonder uh how much of the problem might like i don't want to be I'm not fully going into this saying that like, this is Jack Eichel's problem, but like whether there is part of it, that part of the blame could be lame laid on him because maybe he holds too much sway in the organization. They deem him as such an untouchable uh, nothing he says is wrong type of piece. Um, Despite the fact that, yeah, you just looked at his production. He's not even the best per 60 on his team. That's surprising to me, but I guess that could be the, that must be the case. And just his negativity when they lose is hard not to notice as a just an onlooker Um, inside of
1: ownership like he's the only real constant there since he's been drafted and there is a point where you got to look at that like I'm not ready to condemn him like he's an excellent hockey player and he's so fun to watch but um, there is that aspect of it like you mentioned that when do they start to consider that potentially there's a little bit of a problem there. If I got to listen to people talk about how Mitch Myer's a problem and Austin Matthews is a problem, whatever, like I'm going to bring this shit up too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I did bring it up, but I do think that overall, uh, so Jason Botterill got fired as the GM and he probably deserved to in, in the end, he made some trades that I did like along his tenure, but he also, he also brought in way too many defensemen, and none of which were like top two or top four defensemen, really. And then didn't move Rasmus Ristolainen when he brought in guys to replace him. Basically, also the Ryan O'Reilly deal, dealing from a position of weakness when you don't have to. um Yeah, there were a lot of missteps along the way. Spencer, you wanted to add?
1: Yeah, I'll be quick with this, but like. I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, it's it's really hard to sit here and make a case for Jason Baudrill to still have his job. It was pretty, there's a part of seeing them give him that vote of confidence and then Jack Eichel come out and say some shit about him. And then they fire him that like, you know, lends to that conversation we've been having all along here. But mm-hmm. like, I, I've heard things, uh, I was listening to uh, Ian Tullock's podcast today where he was talking about how, you know, they've heard outside of the organization that he didn't want to sign Jeff Skinner which is like, you know, that's fair Sign, Like it, it, when yeah. you look back I'm in hindsight, like signing Jeff Skinner wasn't a great idea, but it does seem like there's that involvement from the management side of things, which, you know, we already talked about how their priority might be the bills and then they're trying to influence hockey decisions. Like if that's the case, that's ridiculous. And that's a problem. But, um, but the Ryan O'Reilly trade is indefensible. Like he's dealing from a position of weakness. He comes in and has to make that deal. That's tough um you're dealing with a guy who wants to leave that's the position I see that maybe having with Eichel down the road is that you know we can sit here and look at these ridiculous deals and say ha 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 that's funny but when it comes time to trade Jack Eichel it's going to be very clear that he wants to leave and what kind of leverage are they going to have so um but back to Botterill it's just uh I, I every negative comment I make about him I, I like kind of like bite my tongue a little bit like How much of that was management how much of that was legitimately the things he wanted to do and it's really unfortunate because gms that don't have success don't seem to get recycled that often and this could be his one shot and i hope it's not because i'd like to see what he does with ownership that doesn't meddle.
0: yeah and uh he's not the only bottle that got done dirty over the last month um this is gonna be a transition to talking about the hockey hall of fame inductees I sorry, Devin. I did want to. Do you want to say anything else about the Ottawa Buffalo situation before I make this transition? Or uh? sure, if that's okay. I yeah, mean, absolutely. I'll, sorry, I'll, I just really wanted to make that tra- that <laughs> that tra- that segue. There, I wanted to but, applaud that well, <laughs> segue.
1: But it's <laughs> well, yeah. Here, I but, mean, I, so. but I
0: but I do think uh, I saw that you wanted <laughs> to, to add a little more. So sorry, go ahead. I think you still successfully made the segue because like, you, <laughs> you just made it
2: explicit and made it known. So I think. Mean, yeah. <laughs> um i i just kind of wanted to point out that like i'm sure Eichel is reflecting and he's growing and well i'm sure he is but yeah and he's thinking about okay what is it that maybe i have done that i could have done differently and how might i move forward you know just general reflection what you do when you reflect but I mean, you guys just kind of mentioned it too. Like Ryan O'Reilly wanted out. Why did he want out? You know, why is it that these players want out? Why is it that Waterall gets, you know, fired and maybe he doesn't want to sign Skinner? It's like, to me, it sounds like there's a lot going on closer to the top and they're not creating the kind of community that you want to create. Um, That's just kind of how I'm looking at it. I'm sure all parties have things that they wish they could have done differently at all levels, but there doesn't seem to be a just overall a good foundation that's allowing for, you know, good relations to emerge and form. Um, that's pretty much kind of what I wanted to say on Buffalo. But I know you guys were talking a bit about Melnick as well. And yeah, I, I agree with you on that. There's still a, level, a healthy level of skepticism that I have in regards to how well they will manage Ottawa moving forward. That's all I'll say on that.
0: Yeah, both both situations, it's tough to be a fan of either of those teams right now. And as I said before, it's also tough to be a GM of the Buffalo Sabres. Jason Botterill got done dirty, but he wasn't the only Botterill that got done dirty in the last month. So we will talk about the Hall, uh, Hockey Hall of Fame inductees um, and the fact that Jennifer Botterill, his sister, as I double-checked on Wikipedia before starting this podcast, uh, she was a notable omission from the Hockey Hall of Fame class of 2020. So your class this year is Jerome McGinla, first ballot inductee, well-earned. Marian Hossa, first ballot inductee, questionably earned, possibly. He's a great player, but I don't know about first ballot. Kevin Lowe, who's been waiting for a while. Doug Wilson, who's been waiting for a while. Kim St-Pierre, definitely well-earned. And Ken Holland, questionably earned as a builder at this point, I think. It might be a bit presumptive um I don't know he did a pretty amazing job in Detroit but anyway that's a topic for discussion
1: well we're going to talk about defection in a little bit and his involvement in that sort of thing with the Red Wings I like I applaud that I think that's pretty cool
0: yeah but I guess I want to jump too
1: far ahead yeah I guess I get it I get it for sure yeah
0: I guess the issue I could just say quickly briefly on that is you're awarding the guy who signed the defectors not the defectors themselves who actually played the games, played the hockey and did an amazing job. Yeah. Totally. Um, fair
1: point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But anyway, um, do you guys have any issue? Uh, I already did my like slight editorializing in my announcement of the class, but do you guys have any issue with any of the, the class of 2020 that got inducted? Um, so whether it be like Marion Hosa, Jerome Ginla, Kevin Lowe, Doug Wilson, Kim St. Pierre or Ken Holland.
1: Um, Spencer, I'll uh, still clear, clear of the builders just because that wasn't something I paid as close of attention to. Um, Hosa, like, we were talking about this before we actually went on air, but, like, I, I was surprised by that one. But, like, looking back on my understanding of Hosa as a player, um, I get it. Like, I, I just did not bill him as the type of player he was when he was in Ottawa. I really underestimated him, and to see what he – and, like, I hated him because he was cup-chasing for the longest time, too. Like, I just thought it seemed pathetic, like, you know, just shifting teams every year and losing in the Stanley Cup final. Like, come on, man. But then eventually he did it, and then I started watching him for the player he was, and he's a horse. He's so good, like, such a good two-way player. Um, So many good things to say about Hossa, but I'm similarly shocked that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, when we, you know, we'll talk about some guys who aren't in there yet. Um, I don't think he takes it from me, from those guys, but, um, and the other one, like, I don't want to talk too much about Kevin Lowe. I'll give you guys a chance to say it about him, but why
0: (laughs) cups? Okay. Yeah. Why else? Somebody make that case for me. Um, Devin, you want to say anything on that? On Kevin Lowe or any of them?
2: Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting point with Marion Hossa. Um, he's always been just, I've never really known how to describe his play style, like what, like, and understand like what his game is. Cause he kind of does a bit of everything, I guess. Right. Um, but I never really like you focused so much on his play style. So I don't know, I guess to see him as a first time ballot, there probably could have been some others that could have been considered um, instead of him. And he probably could have waited a little bit given some of, you know, really, really good players who have waited uh, quite a while.
0: All right. So Devin, I just wanted to add a little, uh, a little bit of my own conversation to this about the class of 2020 and say that um, with Kevin Lowe, I was a little surprised that he got uh, nominated. He, was maybe the fifth or sixth best player on his team at at the peak of his career. I know he 's won five cups with Edmonton in new york he I mean cups are great, but i don 't think they 're the be all end all that a lot of people make them out to be i mean it 's a team sport and he 's an important part of the cup winning team but uh, because it 's a team sport you have these guys who have been like who who were snubbed for the hockey hall of fame who have been the best player on their team for a year for several years straight, but just didn't have the horses around them to make it to winning the cup. Um and I think that those guys have, in my opinion, a better argument than a guy like Kevin Lowe for being in the hall. Um and to touch on Hosa for a bit, like I said briefly, I do think he's a Hall of Famer, but just uh maybe take a little bit of uh, an issue with him being a first ballot guy when there are some guys who have been waiting for so long, who I think when they were playing, even some of them, when they were playing at the same time as him, potentially even on the same team as him stuck out to me more as uh, guys who I would see in the hall of fame before him. So maybe we'll uh, move on to talking about just our, our thoughts on deserving people who are not in the hall of fame. Um, Devin, do you want to kick things off with a, uh, your top snub for who's not in the hall of fame right now?
2: Well, I, uh, I know we mentioned Alexander McGillney in previous podcasts, but uh, I think maybe I'm just a Homer and a biased Lee fan, having seen him play on the Leafs for a while, but I think he uh, is at least deserving for being discussed and possibly getting into the hockey hall of fame. He's had, a career where I believe he was over a point per game, something like over a thousand points a thousand thirty two points or something like that, in yeah. like 900 games um and just his backstory too I find to be quite compelling, uh being a defector and coming over to the n h l and the whole story behind that, just to get him over to North America and to play um you know I guess. One of the things that I have a question about that I don't know the full answer to is what is the criteria for getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Is it just simply being recommended and being voted in by, you know, X number of people or do do they have like certain requirements or things that they have to consider? Because to me, you know, the whole story with Alexander McGillney and the history of hockey as well. And, you know, what he actually did to potentially pave the way for, you know, for the Russians and Europeans coming over in general. um, I think that there's something to be said about that in terms of how that can be weighted into him getting in the hockey hall of fame on top of the fact that he was a a really good player.
0: Yeah. Um, Spencer, you, do you have any thoughts either regarding McGillney or other snubs?
1: snubs? Well, I think like McGillney just appears to me to be a no brainer. Like you look at late career with the Leafs. He was putting up seventy nine points at his peak with the Leafs. Um, he was a great hockey player, and that's discounting the storyline, which you know, like I said, I already alluded to Jeff Merrick and the storylines. And now this wasn't so much chaotic, but like just he kind of paved the way for so many Russian players to come to to come to the uh, the NHL and play. It it just seems like you know I, I will you know, acknowledge that, like, it took years for Willie O'Ree to get into the Hall of Fame. So, like, it's not surprising, right? It, the Hall of Fame just seems to defy what people expect. Like, Pat Burns, you had a chance to put him in the Hall of Fame before he passed away. Yeah. And, you know, he passed on, And, of course, he makes it in eventually. It's just, like, like the storyline should matter. You're trying to, like, develop interest in the sport that ranks pretty low on the, the scheme of North American sports. Like, you know, your, your hall of fame should kind of try to catch some attention, I think. And uh, with McGilney, I agree. The storyline is just so important and that's not even mentioning the fact that he was above a point per game player. Um, he won a cup with New Jersey, right? Yeah. Like he has the cup. He, he did what he needed to do. Um, and like yeah. to go back to Hosa, that's one thing I did talking about him was he did end up winning three cups. So maybe that's why he's a first ballot hall of famer, but I don't give a shit about cups. Like I, I think that they matter to a degree. Like when you look at Sidney Crosby, if I'm making a case for somebody like him, like the fact that he won cups matters because I feel like he was an integral part of that. But like with Marion Hossa, he wasn't even the cog as far as I'm concerned towards him. He was,
0: and he was kind of, maybe, like, I feel really, sorry. He was maybe sorry. the, he was maybe like the fourth best player on those Hawks teams um yeah and he was a great player that's what made the hawks so great yeah yeah
1: but uh yeah so it's just it's weird and then to go back to kevin lowe too i I feel a little guilty discounting him because i never watched him play like i saw little clips of him playing late in his career but um it's really you know rich of me to sit here and say like that guy doesn't deserve it i never watched him play i don't know how important he was but you know we, we can look at the roster and think there's no way in hell that that was the guy that won them the cups that they want and there's no. so many other important players in that team. And he was just a, uh, you know, a bystander, but I could be wrong. I just feel like I'm probably not. Um, and to move on to somebody that I think is deserving. Um, and this is one that I'm a little bit conflicted on too. Um, is Theron Flurry. Like, um, he's a, just such an interesting conversation you can have around this guy. Um, he was like, I feel like he started the trend of hockey related books. Like people were writing hockey books. I have a ton of them from well before he uh, released his, but I, I feel like him releasing his story and everything he had to deal with along the way. Like I always thought Theo Fleury was a tragic story in the fact that like, you know, it was just somebody who couldn't really make the most efficient use of himself. And then when you look at the actual story that came along with it, it's like, this is pretty tragic. This is pretty heartbreaking. It's tough to read. It's tough to listen to. Um, Got to give the guy credit for doing everything he did under those circumstances. Um, numbers wise, Thierry and Fleury belongs there. I think it's just, and he has his cup too. I think it's just the fact that like, you know, he was kicked out of the league. That is the reason that he's no longer like kind of welcome in that situation. And I think that enough has been done in the, you know, in the time since that, you know, he's, he goes out and he's like, you know, I, I grew up 10 minutes away from Annex Island, a uh, Mi'kmaq reserve close to home. And like, you know, when, when he came to PEI, that's where he went. Like that's the kind of shit that he does now. And I think that's really important for the league. I think that's really important stuff for any former player to do. Um, so, you know, you got that storyline going along with it that he's somebody who's kind of redeemed himself after having, you know, a semi shit show career. Um, He was the kind of guy who could go out and get ripped and come out and score a hat trick the next day. Like he was just an incredible player that way. Um, But he was, you know, arguably the best player on his team at a given time. And uh, it just seems strange to me that he's not there yet. I I get why there might be hesitancy to put him in with the controversy, but um, you know, he's, he's got the numbers. He's the hockey player that needs to be in there as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. Um, and like, and I, and I like that point that you made about him being the best player on his team for a while. Like in those Calgary Flames of the early to mid '90s, even the late '90s teams, they were nothing without Theo Fleury. Um, and like we said, Hossa has the three cups, but he was never the best player on his team. He was probably never the second best player on his team on those cup teams, um, at least. On
2: those
1: cup teams, at least. Um, on a like unrelated note, has anybody ever listened to Theo and Fleury's music? no (laughs) don't don't um and and like i mean politically too like i just feel like Theer and flurry check so many boxes of things that i don't like and i think that that's even more important to me that i can sit here and make a case for him to make the hall of fame like there's so many things i didn't like about the guy and i look at his past and i say like i'll I'll give him credit there um but i still think he deserves to be in there despite so many things that conflict with me
0: yeah um devon did you want to say anything on that Honestly, I don't really have a whole lot to add on. On theory, yeah, no no problem. Um, Yeah, I think that he's a deserving candidate. He was one of the people I was considering uh, for sure. And I think it is important that you recognize that it's a Hall of Fame, and so that doesn't like. So you're talking about people who played hockey to an incredible degree, but also have achieved fame because of the person that they are in some respect. That can't be forgotten about. And Flurry is a person who I don't think like everybody knows who Flurry is obviously not, but he's one of the more uh, like of note players that has retired in the last 20 years, I would say like he and Jeremy Roenick are two of the more quote unquote famous players who also have the track record to be in the hockey hall of fame. I don't think anyone's pushing for Roenick to be in there right now based on his uh, more recent issues, but um, these are guys who have, like you said, they have bigger than life personalities and they have done a lot for the game in various ways. Flurry was also just an incredibly unique player. He was like 5'7 in a time when every hockey player had to be like 6'2, two, 200 pounds at least. And he still tore the league up, still fought like crazy. crazy. He was one of the highest, uh, highest uh, all time penalty minute players.
1: And I think that celebration, I can't remember. I think it's like a playoff goal, but like he scores and he slides across center ice on his knees, just going wild. Like that celebration on its own belongs in the Hall of Fame as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, it's, it's almost Bobby Orr level. <laughs> um, so yeah, McGilney and Flurry are two excellent uh, considerations, I'd say. Um, I'm going to make the case for Jen Botterell. So one of the things that really pissed me off is uh, the fact that the The hockey hall of fame has a lot of catching up to do in terms of their female inductees. They only started bringing female players in like maybe 10 years ago, something like that. And they're allowed to bring in two per year, which um, if they're playing catch up, they should be using both of those slots every time is my, my thought, my opinion on the matter, especially when they're not just like token inductees, when they're players who really deserved it, like Jen Botterell does. So like, most of us I like didn't get a chance to watch a ton of her games because the women's game wasn't promoted as much and throughout my time as a hockey fan as it probably should have been um, so you don't see as much except for maybe like the Olympics or the odd uh, international friendly between the U.S. and Canada but she's a player that I know of as one of the top players in women's hockey she played incredibly for Canada throughout her time with them internationally she's won like I think she's won like three gold medals at the Olympics or something like that with Team Canada as one of the like focal pieces of the team. Um she won a bunch of world championships gold medals as well with them. She's won a bunch of awards in collegiate hockey. Just everywhere she's gone, she has excelled and been pretty much the top, if not one of the top players um in in the league that she's playing in. So this is a player that by all accounts deserved to have gotten in. And I don't know why she didn't aside from maybe the fact that I'm just guessing the hockey hall of fame committee is probably just a bunch of old white guys who really don't look too far outside of their NHL focal lens kind of thing, which is unfortunate. Um, It's maybe another reason that it seems there's a bit of a bias towards good old Canadian kids getting in rather than a guy like Alex McGilney or even uh, Victor Tikhanov, who was the coach and, won so many medals and successfully coached the Soviet union teams in the past. Um, Sorry, Spencer, do you have something to to add there?
1: Not on this. I got something to say a little bit later, but I'll let you tidy
0: up there. Yeah. And my one final, uh, I guess, guy who got one person who didn't uh, make it to the hall of fame, who I wanted to talk about. And I alluded to a little bit like teased out earlier was uh, Daniel Alfredson. So it hurts me to say it as a Leafs fan, Alfredson's a bum, as Granger, I'm sure you uh, will be able to attest in in a few minutes. But uh, if you look at his career, and you look at the longevity, the consistency he had, just the ranks that he re- he brought the Ottawa Senators team to, they were a garbage franchise, and in many ways still are a garbage franchise. But for a little while there, when he was captain, he had them playing like consistently one of the top teams in the league for the 14 year stretch he was leading that team. Um, he was the face of the franchise, sorry, Marion Hosa. but, uh, I, when I think about those senators teams, I'm, and they had some amazing players on them, but I always think about Alfredson, like they had Chara on there. They had, um, well, Wade Redden wasn't amazing, but, uh, he had his, his moments. They had, um, Hoshik was on there for a bit. They had, uh, let me think Danny Heatley was putting up some really good numbers. Spezza.
1: Have yeah. Let him,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like Alfredson, he's waited for a few years now. It might've been nice to let him in before you first ballot Hosa. Um, your guys thoughts? Devin, maybe?
2: <laughs> well, you know, as a Leafs fan, I might have said that Daniel Alfredson is a bomb, but he's not. <laughs>
0: And that's the truth of it. Allegedly. Uh, (laughs) It's my word against yours. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: But, you know, you're right. Um, You're absolutely right. Alfredson was the face of the franchise. When I think of the Ottawa Senators, I think of Alfredson uh, and his flowing locks.
1: Joe for Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Modern Joe. That's it. Um, And just... uh, how tough of a player he was to play against. I think he is deserving of being in the hockey hall of fame as well. And, you know, especially if we're saying like a guy like McGillney should be in the hockey hall of fame, I guess the only difference there is McGillney won the cup in New Jersey um, versus Alfredson. But, they're pretty much on par with each other in terms of points per game percentage, pretty close. Maybe Alfredson's a little bit higher.
0: McGillney's got more points per game, but Alfredson also had a much longer career. Well, longer in North America, at least. So, um, I think if, if McGillney had played, played out his career for a few more years to the age that Alfredson did, that maybe they'd be pretty much on par.
2: Right. Yeah. So Alfredson isn't a point per game player. No. Ah, okay. Nope, he's not in. But he was a slow starter. <laughs> <laughs> he was a
0: slow Tom's starter.
1: Bad, he, seems. he was a slow yeah.
0: starter and he also played like right through that trap era. So McGilney yeah. delved into that a bit, but he also had the benefit of playing a few years in the early 90s where he was able to put up 76 goals in 92, 93. So um, McGilney's numbers get padded a bit from those those early 90s years.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I think uh, he needs to definitely be considered. He, I know he didn't win any cups, but, uh, you know, Spencer, you were saying earlier, you know, quote unquote, I uh, I don't care so much about cups, but it's like you're you're right to a degree. It's, you know, it's not just about cups. It's there's a lot more that goes on in the game and some players should be recognized for that. I think Alfredson's probably one of them.
0: Um, anything you wanted to add there, Spencer?
1: I just think like uh, hockey in particular is a sport where we can't care about championships because there, I don't think there's a, uh, I mean, like soccer you can compare it to, but I don't consider that a North American sport, but like the ones that we follow, you know, I just watched the last dance a few months ago. And like, I value Jordan's championships because of what he meant to those championships, how big of a cog he was in those were in hockey, some of the greatest players to ever play the game could miss out on a championship. Like Jerome Aginla got into the Hall of Fame without winning a title. Like uh I don't I don't wanna sit here and argue that Againla doesn't belong there. He belongs there. So uh no doubt that way. Um mm-hmm. to get to Alfredson though, like uh his career was pretty impressive. Like he was a bit of a late starter. Um, similarly as a Leafs fan, I hate to give the guy credit, um, but I made the point about Theo Fleury's celebration bong and in the uh, hall of fame. Well, I think Daniel Alfredson's broken stick fake toss into the stands and mocking Sundin that probably belongs in the, uh, the hall of fame too. That was a pretty good one. But, uh, and uh, the modern Jofa helmet belongs in the hall of fame as well. Yeah. So that was the point that I'll make on him. Yeah.
2: Um. Robin I don't know if you wanted to just kind of say anything else on Alfredson but I just kind of had a question I wanted to throw out there Um, you can respond with whatever first whether talk continue to talk with Alfredson or otherwise but what about like you know Marlowe and Thornton do you think these guys eventually make their way into the hockey hall of fame Um, we don't need to discuss it if you don't want but I'm just throwing it out there
0: no it's uh it's an interesting point I'd say Thornton absolutely first ballot Marlowe maybe not spencer your thoughts uh
1: i was doing the hand gestures to go along with you like (laughs) thornton i feel like to me is a no-brainer outside of his rookie year where he was pretty questionable like he's just been like arguably the greatest playmaker of his era i I don't even know that's arguable like who else has there been um that stacks up to him he's just he's been an incredible player Marlowe is much more interesting though. like i don't really at this point i'm just kind of like thinking out loud, but um he's always been somebody that I, he was like a top line player on any team, but like a second tier talent, maybe to a degree, like I don't feel like he's a franchise guy.
0: Really? The, the reason he enters the conversation at all is because he's been so healthy throughout his career. He's been so durable. So he's been able to play just an absolute ton of games and that's allowed him to score the 560 goals or whatever he's got at this point in his career. And he's always been,
1: like, a middling, like, I don't want to say middling, like, and a a good point producer, but it was always, like, he was scoring a lot of goals, but never enough to compete for the Rocket Richard, and he was never putting up those assist totals that made him stand out as, like, a Art Ross candidate, but, like, every year of Patrick Marlowe was good, even, like, you know, the, the year that we needed to run him out of Toronto... He was a twenty goal scorer. Like uh, he's always been a good player, and his longevity is impressive. And that's one thing that we didn't talk about this whole thing is just how much games played matter. Like that's one thing that, like, I I don't want to understate is like it takes a lot of durability to play a thousand games. It takes a lot of dedication. It takes um, an incredible dedication to your craft to be able to last in this league that long. Um, And for Marlowe to do what he's done is baffling.
0: Yeah. Uh, Devin, you have any thoughts on your own uh, question there? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I yeah, I was just
2: curious because what I'm kind of interested in in figuring out is, you know, what is the cutoff and also what criteria should we, be using? I mean, we're teachers, yeah. we've developed some kind of rubric here. Um, I think we've
0: put more thought into it between us three than the the selection committee may have, to be honest.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I just, I would like to know a little bit more about how they make their decisions, Um, but perhaps in a future podcast, we could look at players that have retired say in the last year or current players uh, that meet certain criteria over a certain age or something. And we could kind of juggle around and, 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 come up with the criteria and discuss whether or not they think they're future hall of famers or not.
0: Yeah. And honestly, when Guy Carbono got inducted a few years back, it felt like kind of the criteria was just thrown, thrown out the window. Like he's, he was a good defensive forward, but if you're letting the likes of Guy Carbono in, then Yuri Lettinen gets in, Um, just like a whole bunch of guys who you wouldn't have thought beforehand probably need to get in. So it's uh. It's it's worth talking about. It seems like it changes; it's in flux constantly. What the criteria is, um, in any case, we've made some good uh, some good cases for these for these players who got snubbed, and uh, it's been great talking with you guys. Uh, I appreciate you joining me here on the pod. Do you guys have uh, any last words you wanted to put out there into the ether before we sign off, Spencer?
1: I'll make one final thing here. We didn't talk a whole lot about Doug
0: Wilson, oh, and
1: yeah. if you gotta ask me about Doug Wilson before he was inducted i wouldn't have said anything about him like i i honestly when i heard his name thought he got in as a builder and that just shows my ignorance of his time period of hockey um but when you when you look at doug wilson and his track record like he won a norris he was an eight-time all-star um did he ever win a cup i, I actually don't I, know I don't, uh, so. I don't think so no but like two-time norris nominee um leader in career goals and points by a defenseman for the Blackhawks. Like he's got a pretty impressive resume where, you know, I was pretty shocked to hear his name initially. And then when I went and looked at it, like, it's not a case like Kevin Lowe where you can still sit and argue about it. It's like, yeah, Doug Wilson probably does belong in there. But to Devin's point, like, this could lead to a really interesting conversation about what gets a fella in there because he was a great player, albeit during probably the easiest time to be a great player in the NHL. Um, but he doesn't have a cup and um, it just seems like that's so important to the selection committee. I I just, I don't, I don't know. It it would be an interesting conversation to have, but I I think he belongs in there. It's just um, he was kind of a a borderline one for me. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, one, one thing I wanted to ask you, Spencer, actually, uh, has there been any development with the Tyne Valley uh, rink situation?
1: Good question. Uh, Actually, um, I don't want to say too much because I don't know how much is official, but it's, it's all positive all promising. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't want to say anything more just in case it was like yeah. confidential information, but um, it sounds like the rink's going to be built. It sounds like, nice. uh, uh, you know, we, we haven't gotten around to crack at Hockeyville yet. I don't know how that's going to play out, but as far as the funding and things we're supposed to get from the provincial government and just the insurance and stuff like that, everything's working out and, you know, you would have thought COVID would have set us back pretty dramatically, but from the sounds of things, we're only about, Two two and a half weeks behind schedule, so um, that's incredibly impressive considering everything we've gone through recently. So
0: awesome, and uh, Devin, any uh, last words you wanted to throw out there? No last
2: words for me on uh, this week's podcast.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks again, guys, for for doing this. I appreciate your input and uh, look forward to doing another one of these with you sometime in the future. Stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll see you around.